This is day 179 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Jonah chapters 1 through 4, and then we will go into Micah chapter 1. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for calling us to your attention. Thank you for bringing us here to study you, to desire your word. Lord, it is greater than life. It is life. It is what sustains us, it is what gives us motivation, and it is what gives us hope. Lord, as we enter into this time of contemplation and meditation, that you may cause our wisdom to increase, our boldness to increase, and our self-control to increase. May all this benefit your kingdom and our own allegiance to you. Please bless the reading of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you, that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up, and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger 
and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? The word of the Lord which came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split, like wax before the fire, like water poured out of a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley, and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed, all of her earnings will be burned with fire, and all of her images I will make desolate. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings, and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. Because of this, I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make a lament like the jackals, and a mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, for it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Till it not in Gath, weep not at all. At Bethlehem, roll yourself in the dust. Go on your way, inhabitant of Shafir, 
in shameful nakedness? The inhabitant of Zeanon does not escape. The lamentation of Bethazel, he will take from you its support. For the inhabitant of Meroth becomes weak, waiting for good, because a calamity has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the chariot to the team of horses, O inhabitant of Lachish. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, because in you were found the rebellious acts of Israel. Therefore you will give parting gifts on behalf of Morsheth Gath. The houses of Aksib will become a deception to the kings of Israel. Moreover, I will bring on you the one who takes possession, O inhabitant of Marasha. The glory of Israel will enter Adullam. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of the children of your delight. Extend your baldness like the eagle, for they will go from you into exile. Okay, a very short reading today, but the book of Jonah is one of the books of the Bible that I know the best because I've spent a lot of time studying it as well as teaching it at church. So this one I can definitely expand upon in great detail. It's a very short book, but it is packed full of theology and truth. So I'm not going to go through it into that great of length because for the sake of time, that will take forever. I can spend hours talking about this book, but for the sake of time, we'll just glance through a few things and get the overall theme of what's going on here. So we begin by Jonah being instructed by God to go to Nineveh. And we understand that Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So this is important because Assyria is the enemy of Israel, right? They're the ones that will eventually lead them into exile. Now, it's kind of hard to tell where in the timeline Jonah is, but from what we can gather, it was written about five years before the book of Amos, which makes it about 20 years before Isaiah. So this is a very interesting time period because we're still talking about Assyria, which means it hasn't been conquered by Babylon yet, and it hasn't carried Israel off into exile yet. So somewhere before then, definitely, is when this is taking place. But we know it's not going to last, because we're going to look at another prophet later named Nahum, who's going to proclaim judgment against Assyria for good. So whatever happens here in Assyria right now, in the city of Nineveh, is going to be temporary. So, as it has been throughout even the Jewish history, one generation will fix their problem and return to the Lord, but then a generation or two later, they'll go back to their old ways. So, we know that it is, unfortunately, the nature of humanity. What's very interesting about Jonah, though, is this is the first time that we see a prophet refuse to do what God said. We see him get instructions to go to Nineveh and prophesy against it, and he runs. He turns tail and takes off. He was told to go east, which is where Assyria likely was, compared to where Jonah is, and yet he went west. He tried to take a, 
a ship from Joppa all the way to Tarshish, which is around modern-day Spain. That's pretty far away. So he pays for the fare to get on this ship, and he falls asleep inside the boat. That kind of sounds like Jesus, didn't it? Despite what's going on outside, the storm was raging, but Jonah was fast asleep inside the boat. Very interesting how there's that comparison there. So the Lord is obviously trying to get Jonah's attention because it is clear from the very beginning in verse 4 that this storm is caused by God in order to punish what Jonah is doing. But I love what happens here is, for one, we see that they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. Is that a coincidence? Absolutely not. We have to understand that about God's sovereignty. His sovereignty is absolute. There is no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as coincidence. There's no such things as happy accidents. Everything that happens is governed by God. Every time you roll the dice at the casino or when you're playing board games, that's all God's design. He's the one who did all of those things. He is the God of the probability. So we should never say anything is just random happenstance. It's not possible. God caused the lot to fall on Jonah intentionally. That really should change how we look at things because God is the one that decides fate and chance. He is the God who is sovereign over all these things. So he explains who he is to these people, that he's a Hebrew, he fears the Lord, and they are afraid because they understand that this was caused by him. And here's the beautiful thing. They throw him into the water at his request because they were afraid for their lives, but you can see how they didn't want to cause him to die. They tried every other way before they actually did it, to preserve their own lives. But here's the beautiful thing. Even in Jonah's rebellion, God still saved people, didn't he? God did this on purpose. How amazing is that? Even in our rebellion, he can use our evil for his good, right? Because if Jonah had not disobeyed God, he would not have met these sailors. And what happened with these sailors? They believed in God. They prayed to him, and he responded to them. And then after the sea calmed down, they worshiped the Lord and offered sacrifices to him and made vows. They believed in God at that point because Jonah had chosen to disobey him. How remarkable that there's nothing that we can do to flee from God, first of all. There's nowhere we can hide from him. But secondly is that God can use the worst situation for his ultimate good. Our rebellion and our sin cannot interrupt his plans. We cannot thwart God in any way. I love that because we have no power in ourselves and we need to constantly be reminded of that because we often put so much pride and arrogance into who we are. Or we need to unlock the full human potential. We have limitless potential. Well, we do have a lot of potential, 
but we quickly forget who gave us this potential, and really, who is governing all things behind the scenes. And that's God. But we should not be exalting ourselves, because we have nothing to offer. The best that we can give God is filthy rags. So we see that the Lord is not done with Jonah. So he appoints a large fish to swallow him. Now, we don't really know what kind of a fish this is. There is a distinct Hebrew word for fish, and there is a distinct Hebrew word for whale. And what the original Hebrew says is great fish. So it's quite possible that it could have been like a whale shark or something that is not a whale itself. There are sea creatures that were big enough to swallow a man. So I don't really know what kind of a creature this was, but God is very precise in his word. So I would assume that if he did not intend to put the word whale in there, then it's not a whale. But ultimately, again, we can disagree on this, but it doesn't change the narrative of the Bible at all. So somehow, miraculously, Jonah was able to survive in the stomach of this fish. He had plenty of time to think while he was in the belly of this fish. So while he was contemplating what has happened as well as the character of God, he came to the realization that he was on death's door, that he was at the precipice before there was no return. But then God was not done with him. He thought God was. That's why he wanted to be thrown in the water so that he could die. He wanted, like he's been saying later on, death is better to me than life. He's like, I'm not, I can't get my way, Lord, so just go ahead and just kill me. I admit that in my lifetime, I have said those exact words in my misery. Lord, just take my life, please. I can't take this anymore. I have spoken those words, and you know what? I am glad that God did not obey that. I am glad he didn't listen to that, and he didn't entertain the thought. Isn't that ultimate mercy? We always want God to answer our prayers, but that's one of those prayers that I'm glad he didn't answer. You know what I'm saying? So, God is not done with Jonah, and he was humbled in the sight of God. Like it says here, in verses 8 and 9, beautiful verses. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Why? Because salvation is from the Lord. And that's also a, an illustration of who Jesus is later on, because Jesus is going to talk about Jonah when he is around. Because this, and what's important about that as well, is because so often we think of these people as fictitious, or there's a possibility they could be fictitious, and this is just a, an object lesson, or just a kind of like a fable, you know, where it's just a story that teaches a moral point. But no, Jesus, just like some of the other people in the New Testament, they use the names of specific people, like Job and Daniel. Jonah and Adam, to show that these are real historical people. And they are also used as object lessons, but they are real people. So the Lord commanded the fish to vomit him onto the land, and he, Jonah got a second chance. 
Are you going to obey me now? And Jonah went. And it says that the city of Nineveh was a, an exceedingly great city. Three days walk. So Nineveh was one of the largest cities in the ancient world. There's no doubt. But the three days walk is talking about the perimeter of it. If you were to walk along the entire edge of the city, it would take you three days to walk from one end of it to the other, to back to your starting point. That's a big city, especially in the ancient world. So he walked one day, and he spoke out the words of prophecy, and the amazing thing happened. Because of Jonah's preaching, they all repented, from the least of them to the greatest. Even the king got off his throne and humbled himself and decreed that all the people were to worship the Lord and pray against the calamity. They repented. The entire city of Nineveh repented. How amazing is that? Now that is a a wonderful ministry. I don't even think some of the great people like Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham had such success. But Jonah just spoke once, and 120,000 people we see later repented. That's some amazing ministry odds right there. But how did Jonah feel about it? He was angry. This is an interesting response because Jonah is not a traditional prophet. Why is Jonah angry that his mission was so successful? Obviously, he had issues. He had some sort of a prejudice against these people. Almost as if the people of Assyria did not deserve God's compassion. That's what he really thought, and that is an error of so many ways, because for us to think that someone is beyond salvation or not worthy of God's attention is setting our standards higher than God's. That's dangerous. We can't be doing that. But also, for having a heart of love and compassion for the lost, Jonah did not have that. He didn't care about these people. All he seemed to care about was his own people, the Jewish people. Somehow in his logic, he thought that only the Jewish people deserved God's salvation. But yet he fails to understand that they are humans too. The Jewish people make so many mistakes. And they are going to be soon, in his time period, soon going to be taken into exile. Because of all their sin, he doesn't seem to get that. And so he throws a little tantrum here. He says, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I tried to stop you. I tried to forestall this. I tried to delay what you were trying to do. Because I knew, Lord, that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew you were going to spare these people. I didn't want you to spare these people because I don't think they deserve it. So just go ahead and kill me, please. Because I'm of no use to you and I am so angry with what you've done. That's dangerous. We should never be angry with what God has done. We cannot ever disagree with God. Who are we? Who are we to disagree with God? Really? It's like the Bible says, He's the potter, we are the clay. Since when does the clay look up at the potter and say, why are you making me like this? 
It doesn't happen, right? Because the clay is completely at the mercy and the direction of the potter. If the potter wanted to make a royal vase out of it, then he could. If he wanted to make a normal drinking cup, then he could. If he wanted it to be a refuse cup, it's up to the potter. It's not us, it's not for us to say. So who are we to complain about what God is trying to do? Especially when we want to see God's name glorified? I find it amazing that Jonah was not happy about this. So then God asks him a very good question. Do you have good reason to be angry? Well, obviously the answer is no, right? He doesn't have good reason to be angry. He's got a reason, but it's not a good one. And then God is trying to show Jonah the same compassion that he has on him is the same compassion that he has on the people of Nineveh because he gives him a plant. We don't really know what kind of a plant this is, but it's obviously a supernatural event because the plant grew from nothing into something instantly, and then it died just as quickly as it rose. So there was something very supernatural about how this plant happened. And while it was around, Jonah was happy. But when it was gone, he got angry and wanted to die again. So then God asks him again, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant now? And Jonah says, Yeah, I do. Even to death. Wow, that is stubborn, isn't it? I am so adamant in how I feel. I refuse to budge. I am so stubborn in my pride. I refuse to acknowledge that you are right, Lord. That's a very dangerous place, even especially for a prophet to be. So then God has compassion on Jonah and explains what's going on. Here's why I did it, Jonah. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow. You had nothing to do with this plant. It came up overnight and it perished overnight. So it had nothing to do with you. Why shouldn't I have compassion on Nineveh, where there's 120,000 people who don't know the difference between their left and right hand? Meaning, they have no moral compass. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't know the error of their ways. They don't know how dark they are and how far they have fallen. God even cares about his creation and all this, doesn't he? Because he says, there's also a lot of animals. I mean, I don't want to even kill the animals. God loves man, and God loves what he has created. He doesn't just destroy things on a whim because he's having a bad day. He does it to satisfy his wrath and his justice. Sin must be punished. But if the people repent, he loves to relent from disaster because they have responded favorably to God's command. They fear him, and that is exactly what he wants. He wants you to fear him, not be afraid of him, but to live with an attitude of awe and reverence toward him. That is what pleases him the most. And so just as abruptly as it started, so the book of Jonah ends. We don't get to see what Jonah says. We don't get to see if he ever changes his mind. We don't see what happened to the city of Nineveh after that, but we that's where it abruptly ends, the book of Jonah, because God has explained everything he needs to explain to us here. 
So we're ready to move on to the book of Micah. So the timeline for Micah is similar to Isaiah because the kings that are in power during the beginning of verse 1 tells you where he is in the timeline. And he's right around the time of Isaiah, which is about 740 BC. So maybe a couple years before him, but that's about it. Now, just in the same way that Isaiah was inside of Jerusalem and was prophesying in the royal courts, and his contemporary as well would be Hosea. And Hosea was prophesying to Israel, the northern kingdom. Then Micah is the prophet for the southern kingdom of Judah, for the general people. So his message is very similar to the message of the other prophets, that the nation is going to go into exile, that conquerors are going to come pillage their land, and the same revelation of the coming judgment is, is nigh. So that's basically what this is talking about here. So that's why I don't need to go into much detail, because we have seen this plenty of times. But of course, when we get into more specifics in the chapters to come, we'll definitely talk about those, because some of them have some very beautiful insight beyond just the judgment of these places in that time period, as the Bible does. It always goes beyond the, its current time. Which shouldn't surprise us, because the Bible is timeless, and the lessons and the wisdom that's in, contained in here will definitely apply to us today. And for now, that's all that I have. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.